please take your copy of God's word and turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Our text this morning is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 21 through 31. And when I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and please respond in one voice. Thanks be to God. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross with, as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be brought together and those who forsake the Lord should, shall be consumed for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen for you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together, with none to quench them. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may sit. Good morning. It's been a beautiful Lord's Day already, and we come to Isaiah once again in our series. We just begun. I think is this is the fourth sermon, if I'm not mistaken, in Isaiah. It's been a joy. We're we're in the first book of Isaiah, the book of the King. It's a trilogy. If you like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, uh, that's what Isaiah is kind of like. It's a trilogy: the King, uh, the Servant, and the Conqueror. And uh, we begin in verses 21 to 31 this morning. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our gracious God, we do pray that um, you might become to us our cable and our anchor, our breastplate and our shield. For some of us, Lord, um, this is true for us by faith. Jesus Christ is our righteousness, and we rest and receive all that he is for us in the gospel. We need a whole Christ for a whole sinner, and we adore you for being ours. And for some of us, perhaps, um, we're here today, and this is not true for us. Christ is not our cable. He's not our death song. And God, our prayer is that uh, you might receive the glory from today. 
as you soften hearts, as you harden hearts. Our prayer is that Christ be exalted, that he receives all the glory, all the praise, all the worship, all the splendor. What can we give to you but an offering of thanksgiving and of praise? And we thank you for your, your word. Might you come to us this morning in great clarity and power and conviction and comfort and give to us what we cannot give to ourselves, this eternal food offered to us by Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Our theme for today is getting to know God. Uh, getting to know God. Getting to know someone can be an exciting adventure. And this is not my uh, dating uh, advice, but um, getting to know someone can be an exciting adventure. Whether it's chemistry or circumstances that brought you together, those first conversations, uh, those first meetings, those first um, yeah, conversations are important. You discuss topics that you care about, at least I hope so. Perhaps your family, uh, perhaps the church, hobbies, and maybe even the world at large, if you're daring enough. As time passes, you discover that the depths that are there, the further you go, the more you discover the incredible riches that are in a human person. The relationship deepens. Circumstances happen that show you more. You find that they're tender in affection. You find that they're tender towards children. You see their resolve and trial. Each new revelation takes you deeper, shows you more of the strength and grace that characterizes that individual. Well, in many ways, the Bible is our introduction to God. The Bible is about God. But he doesn't tell us everything there is to know about him all at once, unfortunately. It takes time. There's no list. The Bible isn't, isn't a, uh, a systematic theology. It's over time and in the context of circumstances that you and I discover the incredible riches that lie inside of God in Christ. Well, that's what Isaiah is doing in chapter 1. We're getting to know God. He's told us in chapter 1, uh, 4 or 1, 2 that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He said he's our father. He brought us up and brought us to himself. In 1.4, he said he's the holy one of Israel. The unique one, the set apart one, the, the perfection of beauty. This is what Isaiah is doing in chapter 1, beloved. He's getting you to know God. And in turn, as John Calvin says in his institutes, we're getting to know ourselves. Sadly, we offer worship that is perfunctory. That's what we saw last week. We offer worship that's, that's half-hearted. We do the right things, but we do the right things wrongly. 
It's full of hypocrisy and pretense. In verse 4 of chapter 1, we forsake the Lord, meaning we abandon him. We, want, we run to other refuges, we, other towers of strength, other joys. And one, two, we have resisted our Father. And so Isaiah begins this section today in chapter 1, verse 21, with a lament. How could you not lament the state of God's people in this condition? He mourns the, the condition the people are in, the, the church. You see, the nation of Israel, the transference is not to the nation of America. The transference from the nation of Israel is to the church. And so he mourns the condition of God's people. He then, Isaiah, moves as he has before to restoration. All along in chapter 1, there are these wonderful interludes. Have you caught them? There are these wonderful interludes of grace and redemption scattered throughout these indictments. Have you seen them in chapter 1? They're just incredible. And we have another one today. We need that, don't we? God to indict us by his law. And then we need the gospel to come in with wings and to save us. And finally, there is a word of judgment. A word of lament, a word of restoration, and a word of judgment. Let's begin. May God bless the preaching of his word. First, a lament. And here Isaiah laments in verses 21 to 23. Keep your Bibles open. He laments three things. First, he laments unfaithfulness. How the faithful city, he says, has become a whore. God's people have become unfaithful. As we've seen in verse uh, 4 of chapter 1, they've forsaken him. Verse 2 of chapter 1, they've resisted him. We saw last week that their worship is insincere. It's chock full of hypocrisy. So God describes his people here in a drip pan category as adulterous. And there's some texture to that word, whore or adultery, isn't there? The language of adultery is language you and I can feel. And that is why God uses it. We get a sense of it. That word, adultery, makes our skin crawl. It makes our stomachs turn. We get sick. When you think about adultery, and God says to his people in Isaiah here, that's what you, my bride, my church, have done to me. Sin Yes, it's a transgression of the law of God, 1 John 3. Absolutely. But more than that, idolatry and sin is spiritual adultery over and over again in the Bible. That's how he describes it. Why? Because we run after other lovers when we embrace the sin in our lives. Jeremiah 2.20. Long ago, God says, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. I, re I redeemed you by grace alone, God says. But you said, I will not serve. I won't do it. 
Yes, on every high hill and every, under every green tree, you bowed down like, like a whore, he says. So Isaiah here laments their unfaithfulness. And it wasn't always this way. Look at your text again. He says, you were full of justice. There was, there was good times. Righteousness lodged in you, he says. There was times of faithfulness, of joy, of righteousness. Under kings such as David and Josiah, God's people understood what it meant to trust in him at all times. Psalm 62. They weren't always bad. They knew, they knew what it was to put one's hope in God, Psalm 42. They even knew and understood what it was to offer worship, the right things rightly, Psalm 4. There were good times, he says. She was full of justice, but Isaiah says those days are long gone. Now, he says, now you are murderers. Interesting, isn't it? First, God's church is described as adulterous, and now they're described as murderers. And I think the profound comment here that Isaiah is drawing out is unfaithfulness to God leads to unfaithfulness to neighbor. When there is a breach in the first table of the law, Commandments 1 to 4. There will be a breach in the second table of the law. Commandments 5 to 10. So, Isaiah says, you're not only adulterous to God, you're unfaithful to him and and your love for him and your trust, you're running to other cisterns that cannot satisfy you. But because you're unfaithful to God, now you're murderers. Because you can't love God, you don't love neighbor. And that's the state in which God's church is in in Isaiah's day. Second, he laments degeneration, verse 22. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. You don't need to be a wine connoisseur to understand that when wine is mixed with water, it doesn't taste very good. And Isaiah's point here is sin has infected you. It's polluted you. It's degenerated you. You were once like pure wine, but now you're you're mixed. Alec Matir, commentator of Isaiah, quote, as soon as wine is touched with water, no particle of it remains undiluted. So when sin enters, it destroys Listen, the nature, it destroys the nature it enters and leaves no part untainted. Sin doesn't just destroy your behavior. Sin destroys your nature. It infects the soul, mind, will, affections, what you are. The whatness about you, that's what sin gets in. And that's what Isaiah is lamenting here. Your silver, it was beautiful, but now it's become like dross. Your best, best wine, well, 
It's diluted. It's degenerated. And third, Isaiah laments their self-interest. Your princes, verse 23, are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. So along with unfaithfulness and degeneration, there's also self-interest. It's, it's king in Isaiah's day. Among God's people, self-seeking, self-advantage. Everyone's running around, um, even, the, even the leaders, the princes, he says, lining their own pockets through theft and bribery. This was the state of God's people in Isaiah's day. Those who bring gifts are accepted. That people run after him. Let me I like you. You bring a gift. So we like you. Those who have needs, the widow and the orphan, well, they're dismissed. Because they don't have any value to the rest of us. They're just a problem. But you with money, you with gifts, you can you can add something to the church. Well, yeah, you, you can come on in. So the leaders stop shepherding. Look at, look at what they say. They didn't bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. The very people who needed the leaders the most, the vulnerable, the needy, the weak, the helpless, the leaders neglected. That was the church in Isaiah's day. No love for God and no love for one another. Is it surprising then, beloved, that when you turn to the New Testament, every single New Testament author drills those two themes? Love for God and love for each other. When our Lord In the upper room discourse, John 13 to 17, those are his two themes. That's what his parting words are. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you know God. First commandment, know God, he says. And earlier in John 13, what does he do, beloved? He takes a towel. He gets on his knees, and he wipes and washes his people's feet. And what does he say? A new commandment I give to you. What is it? That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. The church is to be a place where there's Affection for God, faith and trust in God, love for him in Christ. And as you do that, that spills over to your love for one another. But in Isaiah's day and some in our day, that's not the case. And Jesus in that upper room discourse is saying, don't be like the church in Isaiah's day. Know the true God and love one another. Now, 
As we move from lament to restoration, we get our eyes off of the earthly princes who were steeped in self-interest in verse 23, and our gaze is turned to the supreme king. Lament to restoration. Verse 24. Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, which is uh, woe, ESV kind of, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Pampers it down a little bit. Woe, he says. I will get relief from my enemies. And I will avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. This is an amazing section. Let's take this just phrase by phrase. Note first the divine titles. The Lord of hosts, he's got two of them. The Lord of hosts and the mighty one of Israel. First, the Lord of hosts. Found 250 times in scripture. You should know what this means. I should know what this means. The Lord of hosts is the God of armies, the ever victorious one. And do you know what psalm makes mention of this title or this name the most? Hint, Martin Luther. Psalm 46. The Lord of hosts, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is your God in Christ. He's the Lord of hosts. The nations rage. They're all raging in the world today. The kingdoms totter. Nations and kingdoms, they're unstable. They totter. America too. Okay? We're not Israel. That's the church. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, Psalm 46. He utters his voice, and what does the earth do? It melts. It melts. That's the Lord of hosts. That's our God in Christ. As the Lord of hosts, God cannot be deceived. He cannot be defeated. He will avenge, and he will be exalted in all the earth. That will happen. It's happening right now. Second title, the mighty one of Israel. The champion of his cause and the savior of his people. The champion of his cause and the savior of his people. The name denotes the omnipotence of God. His strength, unequaled. His power, unrivaled. His might, ever enduring. When he rescues people, his people with his right hand, none can overcome them. We're told in Genesis that the reason Joseph was not defeated by his brothers and Potiphar's wife was because he was, quote, in the hands of the mighty one of Israel. Isn't that amazing? It's beautiful. Psalm 50 the mighty one is the perfection of beauty. Whoa. The perfection of beauty. 
He is the one, quote, in Psalm 50, who shines forth. A devouring fire is before him, a mighty tempest around him. And Isaiah says, this is the one who speaks. This is the one that you know. This is the one that has saved you and redeemed you. This is your creator, and this is your redeemer. And he speaks now. He says, ah, or woe, I will get relief from my enemies. And you're like, yeah, you're a force to be reckoned with. And avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you. And at this point, if you're like me, you're thinking, oh, no. God's going to wipe out his people. But that's not what happens, is it? Look at it. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. In a shocking turn of events, God does not annihilate his sinful people. He restores them. He redeems them. That should shock you. I'm not shocked by the justice of God. It's the grace of God that shocks me. I read that verse and I think, I had it all wrong. I thought he was going to obliterate his people for their unfaithfulness and their sin. That's not what he does. He says, I'm going to smelt away your dross your as with lye and remove all your alloy. Lye is a chemical agent extracting stains from garments. And so God says here, I'm going to extract. I'm going to extract away your dross, all the impurities in what you are in your soul, mind, will, affections, I'm going to remove it. But wait a minute. I'm an adulterer. I'm consumed with myself. And I'm degenerate. And God says, yes, I'm the Lord of hosts. This is why I do this. And then he says, I'm going to restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Those are Davidic language or Davidic terms, judges, counselors. I'm going to bring you a king. I'm going to give you a shepherd, a prince. As at the beginning, I'm going to restore you as you once were and give you a champion, give you a forerunner, give you an advocate, get you, give you a counselor and a judge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it gets even better. The Bible always gets better, doesn't it? Verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed by justice in those in her who repent by righteousness. Zion shall be redeemed by justice. Hmm. That's strange. When God restores a sinner, 
He does not overlook his justice nor the claims of his holy law. He satisfies them. That's the gospel. We are always, every sinner is always and forever redeemed by justice. Maybe we need a sixth sola. I don't know. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. And I don't know if Paul had these words in Isaiah in mind, but Romans chapter 3 sounds an awful like this. You can turn there. Romans 3, 23. How are we we redeemed by justice? How are we restored? Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we have not obtained the glory we once had in the garden. We failed to have it that righteousness that we need. We fall short of it. Verse 24, and are justified. We are accounted righteous, declared righteous, not made righteous inwardly, but by matter of status, justified, accounted righteous, by his grace, there's sola gratia, As a gift. Unearned salvation is unearned. It's given to you through the redemption. That's our word in Isaiah 1. We're redeemed by justice through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So in Christ Jesus lies redemption. And when a sinner puts their faith in Christ, they are justified by his grace. How did, but how does God do that? Does he just overlook his justice? No. Whom God put forward, verse 25, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So God puts Christ forward as a propitiation. It's a sacrifice that satisfies justice. A sacrifice that satisfies wrath. It exhausts the justice of God. That's what Christ is doing on the cross. He's propitiating God's justice by his blood. So the justice doesn't fall on the sinner. It falls on Christ on the cross. And you and I, Paul says, must receive that by faith. Receive. That's one of the sinner's favorite words. Receive. Rest and receive. Not do, not commit your life. Rest and receive what Jesus was for you on the cross. Namely, a sacrifice of propitiation, a justice-exhausting sacrifice. Verse 26. This was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God, in one event, 
accomplishes two things. Oh, the wisdom of God. On the cross, he placed his justice on the sun. The sun soaks that justice up, so God does not overlook his justice, but he placed it on the, on the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ, in your stead. So his justice is not overlooked, nor the claims of his holy law. And then, he's the just one. And then when a sinner puts their faith in Christ, God is then the justifier of the ungodly. So you and I don't face the justice of God. Christ does. And God is now the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the sinner's best news right there. To be justified in God's sight. Back to Isaiah. So Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. Third, this will be our conclusion, judgment. Verse 28, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. It's a word of judgment. You're getting to know God. You're getting to know God. Actually, this is the way Isaiah finishes his book in chapter 66, verse 24. There's a these are brackets, an inclusio. It, it, it shapes the book. As if Isaiah is saying to you and to me, don't, don't miss. Um, don't miss God who can save you because he will get the glory. He will get the glory. Those who repent in verse 28 are contrasted with those who forsake the Lord. The one is redeemed, and the other is broken and consumed. Those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Your life is going to peter out, you know that? Your life is going to peter out. You're careening toward the end of days. You don't know when that day will come, but it will come, and your days will peter out, and you will be faced with the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah says, you better be redeemed by justice, because justice will fall. Twice, Isaiah uses this imagery of oaks and gardens. Did you, did you notice that, beloved? Verse 29 and 30. They shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired. Blessed for the gardens, you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers gardens without water. Oaks and gardens were symbols of the life of nature. They were fertility gods. Even now today, in places where the gospel has not reached, large trees, forests, gardens are considered sanctuaries. And Isaiah says, um, when, you, when you run after the oaks of this world that you desired and the gardens that you think is going to satisfy you, that you've chosen, 
Isaiah says, your, your leaf is going to wither. You're going to come to an end. And you're going to find that the garden you most sought after is without water. It's not going to satisfy. So what is it for you, beloved? Retirement? Financial stability? Is that your oak? What's your garden? Marriage? Kids? What is it? That's what Isaiah wants you to see. So he pleads with you twice over. Find the oak. Find the garden. And choose Christ. Your leaf will wither. You're going to be like a garden without water. What is it? Because your life is going to peter out. And what you and I need is that beautiful Savior on the cross who was soaking up justice so that you could be redeemed by it. What is it? Isaiah then concludes with eternal punishment. The strong. Well, he's going to become like tinder. You know, you know the stuff you put in your fireplace to start the fire? That's what the strong will be. And his, his work... All the things, the strong, all the things you boast in and love and rest in to find meaning and purpose. Well, that's just going to go along with you and be a spark. And you're going to be the kindling and God will burn you forever. Both of them shall burn together with none to quench. Isaiah says, ask yourself the question. Where are you going to be? Not in two weeks. Where are you going to be when you die? I don't know where I'm going to be in three weeks, two weeks, next week. I don't know. But there's only two places I'm going to be when I die. I'll either be in the state of the damned and me and my work all of my sermons, everything I've done is going to burn with me or I'll be in the place of the blessed looking at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and dining with his people forever and ever. Where are you going to be? So we're getting to know God. He's a God who restores. He's a God that wants you to see your sin and mourn over it. And he's a God who wants you to take seriously his justice and judgment.
and he pleads with all of us today. I've given my best and I've given my all to take my justice. Would you take him and rest in him and receive him all of your days? That's it. Your life will work itself out if you have Christ. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we, we want to know you, not as we have imagined you, perhaps not even as we wish you to be or want you to be, but we're getting to know you, the God of the Bible, the God of our salvation, the Rock of Ages, the Lord of Hosts the mighty one of Israel. Receive all the glory and praise in Christ's name.